0: Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia.
1: Grab your Bible term in Romans chapter 3, please. Romans chapter 3, we're going to begin with a very, very familiar passage of Scripture and we'll we'll pivot to uh, a different place here in just a minute. Romans 3 and 10 says this, as the scriptures say, so Paul, the Apostle Paul was quoting an Old Testament scripture that says, no one is righteous, not even one. I know that comes as a shock to many of us who thought we were perfect, but the reality is no one is righteous, not even one. And let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the chance to be in this house today. Lord, we thank you for these people. We thank you for their passion, for their zeal. And God, I just pray that you would uh, be with us today as we open up your word, that you would speak to us, that you would uh, reveal to us your truth. And Lord, more than anything, that you would give us the courage to put it into practice. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. The greatest problem in your marriage is not money. The greatest problem in your marriage is not infidelity. It's not pornography. It's not incompatibility. It's not the societal catch-all phrase, irreconcilable differences. It's none of that. The greatest problem in your marriage is that your spouse married an imperfect person. Your spouse married an imperfect person. In fact, your spouse married a person who was born a sinner, a person who, though they may have surrendered their lives to Jesus by this time in your marriage, they still struggle with a sin nature that urges them to not do what is right, but what feels right, and that ain't the same thing most of the time. And and it's the same with every relationship that you have, whether you're in marriage, whether you're in a business relationship, a friendship, whatever it is, it's the same in every relationship. Sin affects everyone. Everyone. Now, I teased you with this last week, um, but I know without a doubt, and I think you'll agree with me in just a minute, I know without a doubt who had the greatest marriage in the history of mankind. It has to be. Listen, I know your mama and papa had marital bliss for 67 years, but it ain't mama and papa. I, I promise you, you'll understand it in just a second. Some of you may have already figured it out, but who, is, who had the greatest marriage in all of history? It had to be Adam and Eve. It has to be. Why? Because they're the only couple in history to have experienced marriage without the influence of sin. Think about that for just a second. They're the only two people who were ever married and were not married to a sinner. Now, the Bible doesn't record how long it was between the time of Eve's creation and the time of their sin. We don't know. Could have been days, could have been months, could have been decades. We don't really know. But what we do know is that they spent some amount of time without the influence of sin in their lives. And it had to be an incredible, uh, an incredible and fulfilling time for them. Now, is there anything that we can learn from, uh, from that time in their lives? Any wisdom that we can glean from that moment in their story that will help us in our story? And I believe that there is Uh, one sort of, uh, well, it really was a very large thing in their marriage that I think we can also have in ours. So let's go to two places. It always makes you nervous when a preacher says this. Turn to Genesis and Revelation. I'm going to skip some things in between, but I'm going to go from Genesis to Revelation. Genesis, first of all, chapter 2 and verse 9. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Did you see those two trees right there? The tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Look at verses 16 through 17 now. Verses 16 through 17, but the Lord God warned him, you may eat freely of the fruit of every tree in the garden, verse 17, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you will surely die. Now, Revelation 22, last chapter in the Bible. Then the angel showed me, this is written by the the apostle John. The angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down, this river flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, each, uh, with a fresh crop each month, the leaves were used, look at this, the leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. Medicine to heal the nations. Now, let me set this up this way. In the middle of the Garden of Eden were two trees. We always focus on the one tree because it's the one that got all of us into trouble, right? But there were two. One was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The second was the tree of life. God said, I've given you all these trees in the garden, all of them. There's this one tree that you can't eat from. So what does that mean? It means they could eat of all of the other trees, including the tree of life. They were perfectly able to walk up to the tree of life and partake of the fruit of that tree. Remember, this was before they sinned. So Adam and Eve had access to to the tree of life the entire time they were married. And you better believe that Satan's um, deception for them would not have been nearly as effective had they not eaten from every other tree. Like they tasted them all at that point, except for this one, and it was getting on their nerves, right? It was calling to them. That's why the the deception was so effective. I I truly believe that they had consumed fruit from the tree of life. So that passage in Genesis in chapter 2, is the first time we see the tree of life in Scripture. In Revelation, chapter 22, is the last time we see this tree of life in Scripture. And it's planted beside the crystal river of life in New Jerusalem. The river flows from the throne of God and the Lamb, and and the trees are beside the river. It's not a single tree now. It's multiple trees. It is a tree-lined river crystal clear and the trees that line the river are trees of life. And the Bible reveals a very important uh, important fact about the trees of life that are important to us today. It reveals the purpose of the tree of life. And that's the reason we're talking about it. Why what, what were the trees of life along the crystal river for? For healing. The tree of life heals. The tree of, and it makes sense for a tree of life, right? It heals. So uh, let me connect the dots for you. In the middle of your marriage, in the middle of every relationship, whether it's a marriage relationship or not, the relationship you have with your kids, with your boss, with with whoever, all right? In the middle of your relationship, there are still two trees. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And just like Adam and Eve, we have a choice to make. We can choose to take the fruit of of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it will make us painfully aware and hopelessly focused on every single thing our spouse does that irritates and aggravates and and enrages and offends us. Or we can choose to take the fruit of the tree of life and live in continual healing for our marriage, for our relationships. So here's the million dollar question today are you willing to make a different decision? Are you willing to make a different choice if it will make your marriage better? That's the question. Because some couples seem to share their morning coffee underneath the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Like they sit there every day. And, and, and I know people that they've been doing it for so long their communication has been so ineffective for so long that they can't even imagine a life without fussing and fighting every day, without just scrapping it out. Uh, and people, some people have even convinced themselves, well, this is just how we communicate. This is just how we are. This is just how it is in our marriage. It, it, it's not okay for that to be okay. That cannot be the norm for a Christian marriage it cannot be the norm that was not god's intention for us to be married i I hear people talk about their concern about the divorce rate in, in inside the church and outside the church and i'm concerned too but that's not the only thing i'm concerned about i'm also concerned about the misery index like what good does it do for you to stay married and miserable how is that glorifying to god So don't just say, well, bless God, we've hung in there, we hate each other, (laughs) but our marriage honors the Lord because we ain't divorced. Are you kidding me? There's got to be more than married and miserable. There's got to be a tree of life marriage that is available to us. And so that's what we have to to find. Remember, y'all got together for a reason. Like at one point you liked each other. There was something that caught your eye, something that attracted you to each other. At one point, maybe that one day, you enjoyed each other's company. You have to get back to that. But it's going to take a different choice. You're going to have to develop a taste for different fruit. Now, while you're mulling that decision over, you're like, Hey, it sounds like a lot of work. I don't know if I want to, I want to do that or not. While you're thinking about that, let's look at some ways that we can start today. Start today. Here's the scripture that we're going to sort of land on Proverbs 15, verse 4. We're going to look at it in two different um, translations. In the New Living Translation, it says, Gentle words are a tree of life. How do you you get a tree of life marriage? How do you get the tree of life? It was there for uh, Adam and Eve in the physical. How do we get a tree of life in our marriage? Gentle words are a tree of life. Okay, Let's look at it in the message because this is a little actually a little better translation. Kind words, heal and help. Cutting words, wound and maim. The original word, in the Hebrew word that, that the New Living Translation translates as gentle is really more of a medical term. It, it's really better understood as healing words, curative words. Words that bring healing just like the leaves on the tree of life. Now, the Bible actually mentions four different things that are a tree of life can be a tree of life in our marriage. Today we're just going to focus on this one thing because of the obvious connection and because of its power in our lives, and that's words. Words, the right words are a tree of life in your marriage. Now, over the over a lifetime together, how many words do we speak to each other? Like millions? Billions? How many words do we speak to each other in a marriage? Now, a lot of them are sort of business transaction words. Robbie kind of mentioned that last week where you're just doing life. Are you going to get the kids? Are you going to grab dry cleaning? Who's fixing supper? Those kinds of words. But, But of the words that are spoken directly to or about each other, how many of those hurt and how many of them heal? How many of our words are accusatory and judgmental versus the ones that are uplifting and full of grace? We do get to choose our words. We do. How many of our words are the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And how many of them are the fruit of the tree of life? And that's what we have to wrestle with today. See, most of us... And all of us have done this at one point or the other. Most of us are so focused on defending ourselves or proving our point or reminding the other person how wrong they've been and how bad they've hurt us that we don't recognize that what we're really doing is taking the same fruit that Adam and Eve took and eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All the while, we know that 1 Corinthians 13 says that true love... Pure love keeps no record of wrongs. And and, and we don't write it down, but we keep a record in our brains, don't we? And then we share it with our words. We have to make a different choice. say, John, so you're telling me that we should never talk about, we should never address what's wrong? Not at all. That's not what the Bible says at all. It doesn't say don't address the wrong. It says don't keep a record of it deal with it, and then move on. See, too many of us keep our grievances in mason jars on the shelves of our minds, and at the least provocation, we start popping the seals on those bad boys. (laughs) And we, uh, you know what's in those mason jars? Pickled problems. Pickled problems. 5, 25, 137 years ago, there was a problem, and I kept it just in case I needed it again. And that junk stinks. It stinks. You, it, it shuts down the conversation. It eliminates the possibility of healing because nobody can deal with all of that at one time. So, but God is calling us to a tree of life marriage. He's calling us to something. He wants to heal and restore. He wants us to press the reset button and start over again. Like take all of that junk out of there and throw it away we can have a tree of life marriage if we develop a taste for different fruit so let's dive a little bit deeper if we're going to have a tree of life marriage like adam and eve did here's the first thing we're going to have to watch how you talk to your spouse watch how you talk to your spouse are your words healing or hurtful healing or hurtful I mean, seriously, we have to make a choice about how we speak to each other. Um, I both loved and hated what Robbie and Erica had to say last week. It was convicting, wasn't it? No, just me. Okay, Valerie, we're just awful. These people have got it going on. But we had to talk about it over our Valentine's meal last night. We talked about these seven things that they talked about, and we, ass- we assessed ourselves and our marriage. Why? Because I love her And I want it to be the best marriage we can possibly have. So you have to assess yourself sometimes. And it was convicting, particularly about giving our spouses our best and not our leftovers. And that could be the same for your kids, it could be the same for, for the most important people in your life. We too often we give them what's left over, we don't give them our best. I'm so guilty of that. I can navigate conflict. I can help soothe the troubled soul, and then I get home and I snap and I bark and I turn molehills into mountains. We've already established y'all don't do that, but I do that. All right. We so I've got to learn to take a breath before I open my mouth. Right. I have to decide what words I'm going to use. Are they going to be healing words? Or they're going to be hurt for words. Because she deserves to have the, the fruit of the tree of life. There's almost always a way to say what needs to be said in a way that doesn't put them on the defensive or absolutely tear them down. We have to figure out how to do it. And we talked about that. We, we've got to do the same with our kids. We've got to do the same with each other. We, it's, we've got to watch how we speak to each other. So much of the pain that we cause... Uh, are caused in arguments we have with each other. Again, I know y'all don't argue. Valerie and I have disagreed a time or two in the last 30 years. So in, in, those, in those times when you have a disagreement, you have, to, you have to set the rules of engagement now before you get into the fight. Are you focused in those moments? Are you focused on winning the argument or on protecting his heart? Are there any lines that you won't cross? when you're mad? Are there any subjects that are just off limits? Are there any buttons which you can see clearly that you just won't push? If every argument is a no holds barred cage match, you're not living in the healing of the tree of life. You're spewing the poison of the knowledge of good and evil. You're playing the blame game. And in the heat of the moment, that poison convinces you that you're good and she's evil. What did Adam do it, moments after falling into sin? You remember in, in, uh, in Genesis 3, God comes looking for him, says, where y'all at? And we're like, we're over here. We're hiding because we're naked. He's like, who told you you were naked? And they were like, uh-oh, we're busted. And, and what did Adam say? As soon as God showed up, Adam said, listen, this woman, this woman right here is the one that did this. She, it's all her fault. One bite, one bite from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he throws his wife at the feet of the Almighty as a sacrifice for his sin. So, after decades of us eating this fruit, what do you think we're capable of? What are we capable of? Here's an interesting perspective. What would you do if you walked up on somebody talking to your wife the way you do? Or looking at her the way you look at her when you're mad? Would you punch him in the face? You probably should. Ladies, what would happen if you walked up on somebody talking to your husband the way you talk to yours? Talking to their husband the way you talk to yours, would you be tempted to step in between them and say, Oh, sister girl, calm down now? You you don't want to you don't want to do this. It's an interesting perspective, isn't it? It's not just about stopping the hurtful words, it's about very intentionally applying the healing words like a medicine. And the directions on this medicine is apply liberally on the affected area as often as necessary, right? The, the research says that it takes seven positive, uh, positive words to overcome one negative, seven positive interactions to counteract one negative interaction. That means we got a lot, of, a lot of words to use, a lot of healing words, and we need to apply them everywhere possible as often as possible. Let's look at it a different way. You know your spouse's pains and hurts more than anybody. Sometimes maybe even more than they do. But because most of us act the way we act for a reason. There was some sort of pain, some sort of hurt in the past that causes us to to do the things that we do. So are you speaking healing words into that pain? Or are are, are you trying to help him or help her get to the root of the issue or are you just gonna continue to fuss about the symptoms I started on the journey of healing that I started on because my wife insisted that I deal with the root of the issue and not just the fruit of the issue and if you love your spouse and you know something that's caused them pain then you owe it to them because you love them to have the difficult conversation to say you have to get healed now, let's look at it uh, again, a different way in our interactions and the things that we say to our spouses. I've heard people say, listen, my marriage is just, it's just falling apart. We just aren't close anymore. We haven't been intimate in forever. And this is going to sound a little strange coming from your pastor, but you should be used to that by now. Um, let me ask you a quick question. Do you flirt with them anymore? You flirt with your spouse anymore? Um, didn't you flirt with them before you got married? So what happened? Did you lose your mojo? You you like the righteous brothers now, and you've lost that loving feeling? What? I, I, I'm just here to tell you: get back in the game. We got too many people trying to use their little charms on people at work, or some anonymous person on the internet, or some text message back and forth, you've got a beautiful woman, you've got a handsome man in your house, <laughs> put your phone down and flirt with them. Or if you got to hold your phone, use your phone to flirt with them, like across the room or whatever. If if you grab Valerie's phone and you see the list of most frequently used emojis, it's, it's the palm to the head and it's the rolly eyes, because that's her typical response to my flirting with her. She's like, oh, good Lord, right? But it's healing. It's healing. It's a tree of life for your marriage. You say, is flirting in the Bible? Yes, it's in the Bible. Have y'all never read the Song of Solomon? Solomon had game, man. He had serious flirtational skills. So if you need some help, just flip over there. You know, just quote it, just snapshot it, and circle it or whatever just send it. Thus saith the Lord, (laughs) right? You say, what what does that have to do with healing words? How does, what? well, what does flirting communicate? It communicates, you're valuable to me. You're interesting to me. You're attractive to me. I want to spend time with you. I want to get to know you. You're occupying my thoughts. Listen, how many problems would that solve in your marriage if your spouse believed those things? That they're still attractive to you, that you're, they're still on your mind, that you still want to spend time with, with them. How many problems would that solve? So get to flirting if you're married. Now, I do feel the need to have this disclaimer. This re- the flirting thing really doesn't apply to your relationships outside your marriage. So if you've got a problem like with the boss or something, <laughs> this is not really the way you want to go um you can disregard this last couple of minutes and and we'll pick it up there um but in the context of marriage you have to choose your words if you're going to have a tree of life marriage and remember there's a lot of a lot of different avenues that we talked about you have to watch how you talk to your spouse so that you can be speaking healing instead of speaking hurt here's the second thing watch how you talk about your spouse watch how you talk about your spouse what you say about your spouse when they aren't around will affect how you look at them and treat them when they are around. If all you do is talk about the things that annoy you and offend you, then when, they, when you get home or they get home, you can expect to be annoyed and offended. Why? Because what you say is what you'll see. What you say is what you'll see. If all you talk about are the things that get on your nerves, all you're going to see are the things that get on your nerves. What would happen if you commit to speaking words of life, speaking healing words about your spouse and not just to them? What would happen if you you say, Listen, my spouse only does one thing, (laughs) only does one thing right. What would happen if you commit to bragging about that one thing? Like, if you're going to talk about your spouse, it's just going to be this one thing they do right. Like, tell all your friends about how awesome they are and how grateful you are for them and that one thing they do right. Like, my man never lets the trash can overflow. <laughs> like, I don't even have to tell him. He just takes it out like it's his job. He's all What a man. I love that man. Right? And if that's all you got, girl, work that. That's just all you got. Working. But the seed of the fruit of the tree of life is inside itself. So the more you use it and you're like, it just falls to the ground. No, baby, you're not, you're, it's not falling to the ground. You're planting seed. And the more you plant the seed, the more it's going to grow. So keep bragging about that one thing until there's two things to brag about. Everything else they do might get on your last nerve. But listen, ladies, as far as your girls at work are concerned, guys, as far as the dudes are concerned, you've got the crown jewel of a spouse. Let me tell you a little secret. And you already, you already know it, but too many times we sort of excuse ourselves, make ourselves the exception to the rules. But, but this is just the truth. When you constantly criticize, when you constantly put somebody else down, people stop believing the worst about them, start believing it about you. Like about the third criticism, and they're like, Lord, we got to pray for that man. <laughs> this, she must be a nightmare to try to live with. She never says a good thing about him. Or, or like, man, that man's wife must be a saint to put up with his constant complaining and fault finding. We've got to be careful how we talk about our spouses. Speak words of life, healing words about them even when they're not around. Or what if you're in a social setting and they are around? And, there's a, and what happens if there is this perfect opportunity to tell that embarrassing story or to use, or to use your spouse uh, and, and use that one-liner about your spouse that, that paints you as the hero and them as the butt of the joke? Don't do it. Don't do it. No, nobody likes to be embarrassed. No, no normal person likes to be embarrassed, Okay. So you say, but well, they, they know I'm just kidding. Uh, have you asked them? Have you asked them? How, how much love and care would it communicate if you just say, hey, does it bother you when I pick on you about this? Does, do, do you mind if I, when I tell this story and, and we laugh at you when, when we share this? Like, does it bother you? But how much care and concern, how much healing would that provide? Even if they say, oh, good Lord, no, I know you're just kidding, that's great. Now you've got, right? Now you've got a clear path forward. The, The air's clear, everything's good. But how much, how much more care and concern would that provide in the relationship if they know you care at least enough to ask? Now, here's another side note on this. Also, you need to watch with whom you talk about your spouse. Robbie and Erica mentioned this last week, and I think it's worth repeating. You find that one trusted friend, mature friend, who's getting it right in their life of the same gender as you to confide in. Because there are predators of both genders that are just waiting to hear some dissatisfaction so they can begin the process of seduction. Not because they love you and not because you're special but because they love the thrill of the hunt. So listen, don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. Watch how you talk about your spouse. And here's the last thing. Watch how you talk to yourself. Watch how you talk to yourself. Do you you remember the two greatest commandments that they asked Jesus? What's the greatest commandment? He said, really, there's two, They're, they're related. You can't really separate them. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? And he said the other one is connected to that, and that is love your neighbor as yourself. It may be that the problem in your marriage is not that you don't love your neighbor, you don't love your spouse. That may not be the problem. It might just be that you don't love yourself. And if you don't love yourself, then you can't, then loving your neighbor as you love yourself in that dysfunctional way is just going to lead to more dysfunction. Does that make sense? How you see yourself becomes the lens through which you see others. So could it be that the flaws that you keep seeing in your spouse are really scratches on the lenses of how you see yourself? Maybe the greatest thing you could do in your marriage is to believe you're worth healing words to believe, let's take it a step further, to believe that you are worth taking the time to get healed. If And nobody argues about this. I think we would all agree that this is a, this is a proven fact of our experience. If hurting people hurt people, why in the world would you remain wounded? This is completely morbid, but you all know I like to watch military and cop shows. If somebody hung a vest full of explosives around your neck, is that not so encouraging? Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Some, someone h- hangs a vest of explosives around your neck, and there is no way to diffuse it. What would you do? You'd die? Now, before that, before that, you, you, you'd run as fast and far away from the people that you love as possible, right? Because you don't want them to get hurt. Listen, if you have a wounded heart, if you're wounded, you're hurt, you're still dealing with pain from your past, you are a ticking time bomb to those that are closest to you. And when you go off, and isn't that what we call it? When you go off, it's going to be the people you love the most that are hurt the worst. Stop speaking death to yourself stop reminding yourself of all the things that you are not of all of the the dreams that you had that didn't come true of all of the ways that you don't measure up stop sitting on the throne of your life and judging everything that you ever did and said stop stop saying I'm just an ugly old woman nobody would ever love me I'm nothing special as a man I just work and come home and go to church and nothing about me would turn her head anymore stop Stop eating that fruit, because there is very likely someone who is ready and willing to love you, but you've spoken so poorly of yourself for so long that you have believed the lies you've told yourself, and now you can't see the people who want to love you. The poison of your words have done their job, and they've killed you in your own mind. The Song of Solomon says, I am my beloved's and he is mine. That's a great foundation for a marriage right there. I belong to him, she belongs to me. Quit worrying about the fact that you don't look like Barbie anymore. He didn't look like Ken when you married him. So he ain't assuming Barbie's going to be there forever. The tree of life language says, I'm not perfect and you're not perfect. But we're perfect for each other. Speak healing words over yourself. And more than words, get healing for yourself. We have people who will who will lead you in prayer for inner healing. I've been there, I've done it. Need to do some more. We got, we got people who will help you. Uh, we, we'd be happy to set that up for you. We'd be happy to set up an appointment with a counselor, recommend the counselor. If you need to go to the doctor, go to the doctor. Do whatever it takes for you to get healed. Your marriage is worth it. Your relationships are worth it. And more importantly, you are worth it. I don't care what kind of marriage you got. I don't care if it's on the rocks and like y'all couldn't even decide if you're going to ride to church together. Or if you think you've got the best marriage, you've had the greatest marriage that you've ever seen. There's always room for your marriage to grow. There's always ways for you to deepen the connection and the relationship. There is hope for your marriage, and it's found in the tree of life. Just like Adam and Eve, you can eat from the tree of life every day, multiple times a day. Healing words that we use with our spouses, about our spouses, and about ourselves. Not harsh and critical words, gentle, grace-filled, healing words. That's the tree of life. And that's how you have a tree of life marriage. Now let's go back to the million-dollar question. Are you willing to make a different choice? Are you willing to make a different decision if it'll make your marriage better? Are you willing to develop a taste for different fruit? You say, listen, John, I want to, but I've kind of fallen in this pattern. We've been doing this for a long time. I don't know if I can. Let me give you some hope from the Word. Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. Who have we been talking about this whole time? Adam and Adam's sin. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it, Will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. What Adam did, we've fallen into that pattern of repeating over and over again. Right, living in the in, in the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because of what Jesus did, because of His Holy Spirit, because of the Word that He that He leaves for us, we not only have the way, but we have the power to change our habits to change our thought processes, to change the words that come out our mouths and it's found in relationship with Jesus. If you will ask him today sincerely, if you will repent of the sin that has come out of, of your mouth, if you will repent to with your spouse and to your spouse for the things that you've allowed in, in your marriage and you will sincerely ask God to help you. There is no question in my mind that your marriage will just get better and better and better with the humility that it takes to admit you've got some room to grow. Why don't you stand with me today? It's been a while since we've done a a marriage series, and I know it kind of makes people nervous please understand that that all of us who are participating in this marriage series are not doing it because we've perfected it. We're doing it because we've seen the need for improvement in our lives, okay? We've seen the difference. We've seen the good times. We've seen the bad times. And we want way more good times in the future. And we want you to learn from our mistakes. So don't think anybody's up here on a this, is a, this is a platform and this is a pulpit, but it is not a pedestal. We're all fighting the same fight. We all have the same issues and we all have to learn to throw ourselves on the altar and ask God for help. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. Remember, the, the principles of relationship are not just about marriage. There are very few things that apply only to marriage. This applies to all of your relationships in, in lots of contexts. So let's take just a minute before we're dismissed. Let's take just a minute and ask the Lord to, to, to show us the areas of our lives where we need to watch our words and then give us the grace and the strength to do something about it. Listen, the altar is open. If you'd like to come and pray, you can pray about this or anything else you want to pray about. Nobody's making any assumptions of why you're coming to the altar. If you'd like for me or somebody else to pray with you, if you'd come and stand, we'll join you in just a moment. If you want to pray by yourself, just come and kneel, and nobody will bother you. But let's take this time to hear what the Lord has to say to us. They're going to sing a song, and we'll be dismissed together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you that what you left for us in your word is not just this, uh, this, this pious proverbs that, that we can't understand and that don't really apply to our lives. Lord, your word applies every day, every way. There's no area of our life that your word doesn't speak to, and it speaks life. And I pray that you would help us to, in turn, receive that life and speak life into our own relationships. God, I want to be a husband and a father that reflects the tree of life. And I'm falling short. So, God, I repent of all of the ways and all of the times that I've failed. I confess that I need you, that I can't do this on my own. And that I'm fully dependent on your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, I just say today... As I say most days, help me, Lord, to walk not in my flesh, but in your spirit. Lord, would you do, as you said, uh, through the psalmist in, in the book of Psalms, set a guard over my mouth so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. Lord, help us to develop a taste for the fruit of the tree of life and to be turned off more and more by the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Move in our lives, in our relationships, in our our homes. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.
0: We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage, just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.